0: If I describe you as a history buff? Well, as opposed to what? Great, thanks. Nice. Now, John, in the introduction, I was also yeah. going to mention your family briefly. Sure. Um, you're married with three kids, with three kids, not Yep. What, what's your wife's name? Buff. Buff. Really? Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say history club, <laughs> Buff. <laughs> And um, um,
1: yeah, as you wish,
0: whatever you wish. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, do you Hang on, aren't they? Okay, next question. Can we just have one one with flurins off the other one? Are you giving options here? I, I the, the, the... the
1: lighting the other day was good. So yeah. can we just repeat uh, dipolo- that? We're, dipolo- dipolo- We're in a
0: different lecture here. The difficulty the oh, <laughs> the was there was a really nice light over here. But sometimes oh. when you went into here, it okay. was dark a little bit. Well, I'm happy not
1: to wander. That would make it easier. the wandering is good. I think the wandering sort of breaks down the formality
0: of understanding of the light on the horizon. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 okay. okay. I think going to be able to the same Okay, All right. Well, am to, to get you too far away and no. not. And we sorted out the video yeah. stuff too, so there's no taping it's just put on the relay. No, Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. We're, yeah. Um, we're just being very selfish about... Kind of being have very impressed before, like, forcing
1: people to see Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. alright.
0: It's alright. Right. Do... Hey, what lights do you want? Do you want... That's... I can't... They're not giving me any options, so... option? Do you want... one? Yeah, it's like gradual. let <laughs> say so, oh. We'll try
1: with the we'll try with the one to the one. All right, man. about you say. testing one two three
0: Duncan, do you want to use the lectern mic? I can use whatever you want me to do, but yeah. Okay, after using the lectern mic, you can mute it yep. and then unmute it when you come back. <laughs> no worries. Should be. Testing. Great. So I'm just going to unmute the Chain, are you using the lights we used last time? Uh, yeah, but it doesn't work so well because it's really dark at the front. Oh, for the people? For, for John Dixon. Like, it's really hard oh, yeah. for him okay. to see. All right. so, so, this is the best we can do, I think. Well good afternoon everyone, good afternoon, my name is Duncan Lockhard, I'm a fifth year engineering student and also the president of the Evangelical Union and I'd like to welcome you all to today's talk. Well the Read Jesus Festival kicked off in style last Monday with the Great Debate in the Great Hall and over the past week there's been a stack of exciting activities happening right across our campus. This week the fun continues. With such things as a band night on, at Manning on Tuesday, free barbecues, plenty of topical forums, so many things for us all to be checking out. And as part of the festival, we've been fortunate to be joined this week and last week by Dr. John Dixon, who returns today to continue to continue his look with us at the Jesus of history. Last Thursday, we reconsidered the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus, what historians can claim to know about him. Um, looking at him through the lens of history and how reliable those claims are. Today we look at Jesus rejected, what we can know about Jesus' death. What that means, how and why it is that a symbol of brutality and death, the cross, has become the symbol of a worldwide movement. Now at each of our events we're asking everyone to take a moment to fill out the feedback forms that you would have received in your outlines. It would be great if everyone could pull those out quickly. Uh, feel free to use them also to leave us a comment or just to let us know that you are here. A little bit about our, our speaker before he comes up. John is a self-confessed history buff. He studied it at uni and now lectures in it at Macquarie University where he's an honorary associate of the department. He also loves music, having toured in the past for a few years as a singer-songwriter, and books, having written dozens of them in the past decade and of course he loves his wife and kids with whom he lives on Sydney's North Shore. Please join me now in welcoming him up.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, hello again. Uh, if you weren't here uh, last week, Thursday? Is that when I spoke? Thursday. Uh, we basically looked at the broad brush of what historians reckon they know about Jesus. And I tried to make the point over and over again, but based on a few conversations I had afterwards, I didn't make myself clear uh, enough. When I say what historians know about Jesus, it's really important that I underline for you, I'm not talking about theologians, okay? which the new atheists, Richard Dawkins and so on, claim is not even a real discipline and shouldn't be in universities. Uh, I'm not here to defend theologians, but I just want to make a distinction here that I'm not talking about theologians. I'm talking about real, card-carrying historians who publish in real, card-carrying historical journals. Uh, they specialise in first-century history, in Jewish, Greco-Roman, as well as Christian history. So I just want to make that distinction uh, clear for you again. And I hope it's helpful as we sort of move in to work out what the historian can say about Jesus' death. To set this up, let me tell you, I once spoke on this topic at the University of Western Sydney. And I asked the audience to sort of wonder with me how bizarre it was that there was this world religion that claimed the creator of the universe entered into the world Uh, as a human being and then ended up dying in the most brutal horrible fashion on a Roman cross and I just asked the audience to just ponder whether or not you believe in Jesus the the historical oddity that that is God bleeding on a cross it is truly bizarre and I thought the lecture went half well Uh, then the Chairman uh, opened the floor for questions. That's always a nerve wracking time in a speaker's life. And a gentleman stood up straight away, uh, very well dressed, very well spoken, very polite, and proceeded for the next five minutes to tell the audience and me that everything I'd said was preposterous. It was illogical to say that the Creator would enter into the world and then die. then he said it was blasphemous as well. It turns out that he was um, an academic in the university and um, a Muslim and uh, part of the Islamic group out at uh, UWS. And uh, the chairman invited me to respond to his comments and you know I, I did my best to respond, but he was coming from a very different position Uh, For him, as a Muslim, the Quran states explicitly not only that Jesus isn't God, but that he didn't even die on a cross. The Quran makes a very explicit statement about this, which was behind uh, the man's objection. I'm quoting from uh, Surah 4. This is Section 4 of the Quran. They neither killed nor crucified Jesus, but it was made to appear so unto them. Indeed, those who differ about him Are in doubt about it. Their knowledge does not go beyond conjecture, and they did not kill him for certain. Rather, Allah raised him unto him. Allah is mighty and wise. Uh, I did my best to uh, address the man's concerns in this public forum. We went to and fro several more minutes. But it was very clear that there was going to be no winner in this. Debate, um, because our premises were so far apart. Uh, for him, the notion of a majestic God entering into such vulnerability and weakness and suffering is anathema. And yet my conception of God uh, is precisely that he consists as of the kind of personality that would enter in the world and serve And suffer. Uh, Our premises were so far apart. What is a blasphemy within Islam, such that they rule out the notion that Jesus, a great prophet, could possibly have died on a cross, is in fact the heart and soul of the Christian faith. So what's the evidence, historically speaking, for the claim at the heart of Christianity, the claim that is ruled out by the Quran? Because Muslims aren't the only ones who deny, as a historical statement, that Jesus died. Uh, Michel Onfray, one of the great atheists at the moment, um, who wrote the Atheist Manifesto, I'm not sure how many of you will have read it. Uh, In in some ways, it's a fine read. Uh, It's an exciting read. Uh, But Michel Onfray argues that Jesus did not, die on a cross. I mean, actually, Onfray argues that Jesus didn't even exist, but uh, then he tries to unpack why it's improbable that uh, he actually died on a cross, as the Gospels say. And uh, I need to make clear that Michel Onfray is a seriously bright man uh, with degrees and a PhD even in philosophy. He's a very famous French philosopher. He comes to discuss Jesus' death, and I want to quote for you from page 127 of the atheist manifesto where he's listing what he calls quote the incalculable number of contradictions and improbabilities in the gospels and then he arrives at this one another improbability the crucifixion history again bears witness at that time jews were not crucified but stoned to death but let us concede that he was put on the cross just for the sake of argument. In that case, like all other such victims, he would have been left hanging there at the mercy of the wild beasts. Then the remains were thrown into a common grave. In any case, there was no question of bodies being laid to rest in tombs. Fabrications. Highly intelligent, learned French philosopher saying that history bears witness Jesus didn't die on a cross because Jews were not crucified in this period. Moreover, even if he were crucified, uh, crucifixion victims were never, note the language, uh, put into real tombs. They were always just left to the wild beasts, thrown into shallow grave. Now, the claim that crucifixion victims never received a proper burial is a simple historical exaggeration, the sort of thing one can easily forgive someone who's trained in philosophy rather than history. But just so that you can check up on this, I urge you to go into the beautiful Fisher Library where you will find all these texts that I quote today and turn to uh, Philo's great uh, Flaccus, um, go to section 83, and you will find very clear first century evidence, um, Philo is early first century, that um, crucifixion victims were on occasion given proper burials. Uh, More striking is the evidence of Josephus, also a first century writer, not a Christian but a Jew, who even goes as far as to say this, the Jews are so careful about funeral rites that even malefactors who have been sentenced to crucifixion are taken down and buried before sunset. So we'll forgive Michel Onfray his exaggeration that crucifixion victims were never buried, as the gospels say Jesus was properly buried after crucifixion. But more striking than his exaggeration is his claim that history bears witness at that time Jews were not crucified, but stoned to death. this, and there's no kind way to say it, is a serious historical blunder. If anyone is trained in ancient history in uh, this room, and I hope I have a few friends, then uh, you will know that actually it's truer to say Jews were amongst the most crucified people in the first century. The evidence is, uh, frankly, overwhelming. And I'll just give you a few pieces of the evidence. Uh, We know uh, from Josephus alone, who's a first century uh, writer, an important uh, text, we learn of uh, Varus, governor of Syria, crucifying 2,000 Jewish rebels on one occasion. Uh, We know uh, that the rebels James and Simon are crucified in the mid-40s, so shortly after Jesus. Uh, Clear evidence of that. And he also tells us that during the great siege of Jerusalem, when the Romans were uh, attacking uh, Jerusalem to to raise the city to the ground, took them about six weeks to breach the walls and then finally to sack the temple itself. Uh, Josephus tells us that 500 Jews a day were being crucified by the Romans just outside the city walls as a warning to those inside the city. And I'll quote his horrible words. The soldiers, out of rage and hatred, amused themselves by nailing their prisoners in different postures, and so great was their number that space could not be found for the crosses, nor crosses for the bodies. We even have evidence of Jews crucifying Jews. We have a few uh, references to this. Um, Jewish War I, but also one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nahum Pesha tells us uh, that Alexander Janus, the uh, high priest and ruler of Jerusalem, one day crucified 800 Pharisees and their wives and children were brought in front of them to watch them die. And then after an hour or so, the wives and children were slaughtered in front of these men as they hang, hang on the cross. It is an awful, awful situation. But my point is, are even Jews crucifying Jews. So I guess what I'm saying is that for Michel Onfray to say history bears witness, Jews were not crucified but sown to death, is just a serious historical blunder. But perhaps the clearest evidence of his blunder is the discovery in 1968 of the remains of a crucifixion victim inside a Jewish tomb. Uh, And they found the burial box, the ossuary, with Jehoanan on the side, the name of the bloke inside the box, uh, John, Jehoanan. And they opened it up and they found a heel bone with an 11 centimetre nail still through it from the first century. Uh, This is kind of a giveaway of how he died. Uh, Now, this particular find, and I've given you the scholarly report on it for all the nerds in the audience. I trust I'm not the only one. Uh, The Israel Exploration Journal, which I'm sure the Fisher will have, is a very important journal. Uh, And you can read for yourself the data relating to it. This find has taught us quite a lot about crucifixion, how it was done for those who are interested in such things. Um, But not the least is that we know Jews were certainly crucified. And guess what? Some of them we now know proven beyond all doubt, were buried in proper ossuary boxes, placed in proper tombs. Now I just, I just want you to, to soak this up, and it's something that I stressed the other day as well. That a noted professor of philosophy, Michel Onfray, can so blatantly misrepresent history, is revealing. Uh, Last week, I spoke about an equally blunderous statement of Richard Dawkins about history. It all just raises a question for me. What's driving the new atheism? It claims just to be an intellectual movement that's fed up with the irrationality of Christianity. I find that impossible to believe when I read statements like Michel Onfray's and those of Richard Dawkins, when they range outside their discipline. I mean, I wouldn't dare take Richard Dawkins on in biology, which is his specialty. Um, But when they range outside their discipline, there's no doubt in my mind that they are more than capable of making serious historical mistakes and misrepresenting the historical situation. Uh, Perhaps deliberately, perhaps just through ignorance, I don't know. Well, there's no doubt at all that Jews were crucified in great numbers in the first century. But what's the evidence for Jesus' actual crucifixion as a Jew. Uh, well, actually, we have six non-Christian references to Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, Marabas, Serapion, Tacitus, Lucian, Celsus, Josephus, and the Talmud. Uh, some speak of his execution in general terms, not referring to the specific method. So Marabas, Serapion, for instance, uh, writing in about 75, says, what advantage do the Jews gain from executing their wise king? It was just after that that their kingdom was abolished. But other texts from the period uh, are explicit about how Jesus died. Uh, Josephus, uh, book 18, writes, And when Pilate, because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. Clear reference, first century non-Christian, mentioning Jesus' crucifixion. Or the Talmud, which is the ancient Jewish law book. We read this statement in Baraita Sanhedrin 43. On the eve of the Passover, Jesus was hanged on a cross because he practised sorcery and enticed and led Israel astray. And this is before we turn to our earliest sources, of our knowledge of Jesus. One of the things I tried to stress last week, and I know is uh, hard for people to get their head around if they come from a a sort of a presuppositionalist bias against Christianity, that historians universally regard the New Testament texts as the earliest, most plentiful, most reliable sources of information about Jesus. I'm not sure if I mentioned last week, but um, one way you can test that is just go to the Fisher Library, go to the historical Jesus section, which you'll find many, many books on the topic, and um, find out what sources they're using. And you'll find that whereas the non-Christian references to Jesus get 20, maybe 30 pages, uh, the rest of the data discussed in the hundreds of pages in every scholarly volume is New Testament. Now, historians don't privilege the New Testament, okay? You need to understand, I'm not saying historians treat the New Testament as God's word. They don't. They just treat it as a human text. They don't come to it with a, you know, privileging it, but nor, nor do they come to it with a prejudice. And it's sort of in between those two things that I want, I want to sort of give you the impression. That's how historians treat it. They treat it just like they treat Josephus, just like they treat Tacitus, Suetonius, and so on. Um. The New Testament texts repeatedly refer to Jesus' crucifixion, uh, leaving historians in no doubt that Jesus was, in fact, truly executed. And the New Testament texts speak of Jesus' crucifixion, knowing full well that the people in the first century to whom they were writing thought this a very bizarre notion, that their Lord of the world was recently hanging on a Roman cross. I mean, forget the fact that the cross is now like a fashion symbol, you know, and, uh, and a symbol of architecture. Uh, I noted recently that, that Madonna in her shows, um, yes, she's still going. Uh, <laughs> now, as part of the set, uh, it, at one point has herself hanging on a, on a cross, and this is a really sort of cool thing, apparently. But um, f- forget how we've come to view the cross, you need to cast your mind back into a period where the cross was the most gruesome, shameful, brutal execution. Of the three methods of formal execution in the Roman world, that's decapitation, burning alive, and crucifixion, crucifixion was known as the summum supplicium, the ultimate punishment. And the Christians knew this full well and still said Jesus, their Lord had recently been on one of those crosses. The Apostle Paul knew this full well. This is Paul writing in the middle of the first century, after about 20 years of hard work trying to convince people that the Lord of the world had recently been on a cross. And he says this, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. The reason I'm pointing this out is that even if we didn't have the non-Christian references to Jesus' crucifixion, every professional historian would still accept it as a fact of history because no one in their right mind would invent a story about a lord of the world who had recently been on one of these brutal execution instruments. And you only have to dip into the literature over in the Fisher Library to discover that for historians, the crucifixion of Jesus under Pontius Pilate is a certainty. There is no historical doubt about it. But there's a more interesting question that I want us to focus on today. Why was Jesus crucified? Why? What can the historians say about the reason for it? And when I ask this, I don't just mean uh, politically why. Um, there's very little doubt about that. Uh, you'll discover that historians agree that Jesus was crucified for treason. Uh, his talk about another kingdom was just unacceptable uh, to the Roman viewpoint. So he was clearly executed for treason, for speech about another kingdom. But when I ask the question, why was Jesus crucified? I mean, what did he think he was being crucified for? What what was the purpose of his martyrdom, if I can put it like that? And we actually have more evidence of this than you might imagine. We're on very sure historical ground for working out Jesus' own angle on his death. For historians, the most, at least one of the most, significant passages on the death of Jesus, tells us his words at the so-called Last Supper. And uh, I want to read these to you and then do a little bit of a historical drill down because they actually give the historian a clear view into Jesus' own perspective on his crucifixion. This is the Apostle Paul writing in the middle of the first century. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, Um, historians agree that this is one of two official summaries passed on to the Apostle Paul, either in 31:32 when he was in Damascus, or 33:34 when he's in Jerusalem. Does't matter which you take. I'm very happy with the later date. This makes this official summary about as early as the historian could ever hope for for a quotation from a figure. From the past. Um, and the significance of the passage is also that we have another version of it written independently of it. All right, this is a very important thing to realise. Here is the Gospel of Luke giving an account of Jesus' last supper. It reads, And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. What you need to understand is that Luke wrote his rendition of the Last Supper probably about 20 years after Paul wrote his letter to Corinth. And scholars agree Luke did not have a copy of Paul's letter in front of him. What connects these two written accounts is not a source document but what historians call oral tradition. The early Christians were committed to memorizing, just as Jews were committed to memorizing the teachings of their rabbis in the first century, so the Christians inherited that tradition of memorizing the words of their master. Twenty years later Luke records the Last Supper, and look, I'll admit, there are differences between them. You read it closely, there's some differences, but the differences amount to a few words. For historians, this is excellent evidence, but more significant than the early date and independent testimony of the Last Supper is the meaning Jesus attaches to his death at this Last Supper. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is incredibly significant because here is Jesus saying he understands his death, which would be in a matter of hours from that Last Supper, to be a sacrifice bringing in a new covenant. Now, there's only one new covenant mentioned by Jews in antiquity. So we know what Jesus was referring to. It's a famous Jewish prophecy from Jeremiah chapter 31. A prophecy known to everyone at the Last Supper because they were all faithful Jews. And Jews of the first century were looking forward to the new covenant. And here it is. Here's the reference. Jeremiah, writing five or six hundred years before Jesus, says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. This is the covenant I will make with them, with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The promised new covenant in Jewish culture in the first century based on this prophecy in Jeremiah, amounted to this. A promise that at some stage in the future, God would establish a new relationship with his people, which would remember their sins no more. He would forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Jesus believed that his death was a death for sins. And this is the same interpretation of the death of Jesus, we find in the other early statement handed on to Paul. And I mentioned this last time. Here we have quoted an ancient creed, which Paul uh, was given at his conversion and which he handed on to others as a summary of what Christians taught. And he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And then comes the creed that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and so on. Uh, My point is, we can date this creed, like the Last Supper tradition, to before the mid-30s AD, which leaves us in no doubt whatsoever that the earliest interpretation of Jesus' death was that it was a death for sins to establish a new covenant. As a historical statement, even leaving theology aside, we can say that Jesus and his disciples understood his death on a cross as a bearing of judgment so that this new covenant of forgiveness would be made available to human beings. That's a historical statement. What you do with that is not history, you know? uh, whether you want to accept that as true for you, that's philosophy, that's personality, that's theology. But I just want to underline for you today that history tells us Jesus believed his death to be on your behalf, on my behalf, so that you and I might be freely forgiven by God. Let me sort of try and land this plane, and then if we have time, we'll, uh, we'll have questions. On Palatine Hill in Rome is a really interesting piece of ancient graffiti. Uh, Palatine Hill is where all the emperors lived. You may may know that. And uh, in the beautiful little museum on Palatine Hill, they have this uh, piece of a wall that was from a 2nd to 3rd century uh, guardhouse. And a Roman soldier has scratched into the piece of graffiti an insult about a Christian. No doubt, a Christian incarcerated on the other side. And there it is. Now, you may be able to make out that it's a crucified figure with a mule's head. No prizes for guessing what the point of that is. The stupidity of a crucified man But what's really interesting is, can you see the little man with arm raised in homage beside the cross? I've got a stencil of it to um, make it easier for you. See the little man there? Arm raised in traditional worship pose. And in very, very bad Greek. (laughs) (laughs) The kind you would expect from a Roman soldier. It says... Menos, theon. which means Alex worships his God. It is a chilling mockery of a Christian otherwise unknown to us. Probably, as I said, on the other side, in jail for his faith, as so many in this period were. And the soldiers passing the time discussing with themselves over copious wine, no doubt. Maybe that accounts for the drawing (laughs) (laughs) and the bad grammar. Say, that Alex Amenos, he worships that crucified idiot Jesus. Let's draw him with a mule's head and mock Alex Amenos, worshipping his God. When I went to um, visit this piece of graffiti, actually my mind was cast not to the Roman soldiers but to Alex Amenos himself on the other side because he wouldn't have have viewed the cross like that. Whereas for the Romans, it was a symbol of stupidity and weakness and shame and failure. For Alex, it was his hope. It was the establishment of a new covenant with God. It was the means by which he was forgiven. And I imagine that Alex took great comfort in the words of the Last Supper, which every Christian in this period had memorised. When Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Despite the mocking of the soldiers, I'm sure Alex took great comfort. And as I stood there, running my hand across the mocking inscription, which you can do when the cameras aren't on you. (laughs) I thought to myself, here's a a clash of two worlds. One that views the cross as a symbol of stupidity, failure and shame. And for someone like Michel Onfray, A fiction, but on the other hand, another way of looking at the cross as the means by which I could be forgiven. Jesus bearing judgment so I could be forgiven. The question I want to end with is not a historical question. The question is which of those two views of the cross do you find most compelling? And with that, I'll finish. Thanks.
0: <clears throat> questions? Yes. We've got about five minutes left. So, if anyone has any questions, now would be a good chance for you to raise them. And we'll give John five minutes to answer them. <laughs>
1: Okay, Um, why do we trust these first-century writers so much when these 21st-century scholars are making such blunders? If they can make blunders, so could Josephus, in other words, yeah. Um, I guess it's a good question. I I guess the the thing that perhaps I need to underline is that the people making the blunders in the New Atheism, they're blunders based on not knowing the discipline and not checking. Because if Michel Onfray had read any historical Jesus book, any historical Jesus book, he would discover that the crucifixion of Jesus is a, is a complete certainty. There's, just, there's no possibility, really, of it being false. From a historian's point of view, it's just a fact of history. Um, the problem comes, I think when people who are well trained in one discipline, and we've all got to watch this, when you're well trained in one discipline, your confidence about that discipline can sometimes wrongly be applied to your discussion of other topics. And I think that's really problematic. Richard Dawkins is a biologist. I would never go into debate with him about biology. Okay? I'll concede he's the expert and that he knows what the literature says and I'm happy to accept what he tells me scientists say about biology. But he's not a historian. And so when he says something like, the existence of Jesus is doubted in scholarship, as he does on page 97 of the Bantam edition of the God Delusion, he... <laughs> I just, just realised how pretentious that sounded. <laughs> It's just that, it's just that I've, quote, I've quoted him just so many times, it's there. I don't have a photographic memory. Anyway, when he says that a serious historical case can be made that Jesus never lived at all, I mean, I, as someone who knows the discipline, just know that that's nuts. And I wish I could sit him down and say, That's nuts. I'm waffling. But my my point is, no one in the discipline says the silly things that these new atheists who aren't disciplined in history are saying. Well, there are quite a few. (laughs) It's doing pretty well. The old Christianity thing. Um, yeah, I mean, the UN tells us um, that 2.1 billion claim to be Christians. I can't think of anything else that's accepted by that many people. Um, so one part of me is saying it is, it's doing very well. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I'd say, I mean, which, which is sort of more to the point, you know, maybe why do so many people here at Sydney Uni, you know, question it and so on, Um, In my experience, they've not looked into it very deeply. I I had a fascinating conversation with someone after my previous lecture here. I don't don't know if he's here in the room now, but um, it was clear he had very confident views of certain things, but hadn't actually read any Jesus scholarship, because I asked him to to tell me the authors that he'd actually read on the topic, and he couldn't name me any. that's what happens, actually. People just, just aren't really exploring it. There's just this default cultural scepticism about Christianity, something turned in, sort of in recent history so that people just knee-jerk reject the Christian faith and feel really confident doing it when they haven't actually discovered it. The other thing I would say is that amongst these scholars, you actually find scholars who don't believe in Christianity, but are experts in Jesus. Okay? So that, you know, I'm, I'm giving you another question to ask, and that is, um, how can these experts in it not, not actually believe? I think in the end, we don't make decisions in life, big decisions, interpersonal decisions, based on evidence alone. So last Thursday, I quoted E.P. Sanders, one of the leading Jesus scholars in the world, professor at Duke University, um, professor of Jewish studies and early Christian history, a self-confessed agnostic, and I'll quote him tomorrow in my resurrection talk, um, who who lists the data the historian can know with confidence about Jesus. And it pretty much looks like he's saying the whole gospel stuff, right? But he's not a a believer. That tells me that that more is going on than mere evidence. And, and, And that's probably a good point to sort of throw over to all of you uh, we don't actually make big life decisions based only on factual evidence. A whole bunch of other factors come into play, like a previous experience of Christians. i met people all the time who say, I'm never going to be a Christian because, you know, my Auntie Flo was a Christian and she was mad as a hatter and, you know, <laughs> self-righteous and, you know, and that's, that's their reason for not being a Christian. Evidence alone doesn't move people very far. So, you know, what am I doing as a historian? I ponder that at night sometimes. (laughs)
0: Let's thank John once more. (laughs) When when John returns tomorrow, we'll provide more time for questions, but if anything anything that's been said today has made you want to investigate more, please make sure you do tick the appropriate box on those feedback forms and drop them in on your way out. Like I said, John returns tomorrow to continue our look at the historical Jesus, particularly his resurrection, that key tenet on which Christian faith stands or falls. That's 1pm back here in the same lecture theatre. And make sure you don't miss out all the other great activities happening as part of this re Jesus Festival. One thing that caught my attention, a forum tomorrow on Is Jesus Just a Crutch for the Psychologically Weak? That's 11am tomorrow. Best place for more details is the website readjesusfestival.com Please join us now for some afternoon tea in the courtyard just downstairs and outside. We'd love to see you there. But if not, I hope you have a really great day. Oh, Oh. mate.